It's time to face the music. Take out your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's begin together in verse 15. Therefore he, that is Jesus, therefore he's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world." But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the redemption that you have provided through the blood of your Son. And Father, we thank you for the way that all through the Old Testament you prepared your people to be ready to receive that gift of the Messiah. Lord, we know that the Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. But to those who received him, as many as believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children, even children of God. Lord, open every eye this morning, open every mind, open every heart that we might not miss the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many years ago, a man conned his way into the orchestra of the emperor of China back in ancient times. He couldn't play a note, but he was good at faking it. 
Well, he received a very good salary. He enjoyed a comfortable living. He enjoyed some degree of prestige for his ability to play in the emperor's orchestra. At every practice, at every concert, with all of the others standing there next to him, he would raise his flute to his lips and he would fake it perfectly. But then one day the emperor requested a solo from every single musician. The flutist became very nervous. He had no idea what to do. There wasn't time to learn how to play the flute. Certainly wasn't time to learn it at that level of expertise. He pretended to be sick on the day he was to appear before the emperor, but the emperor's physician was not fooled at all. And so finally on the day that another performance was set up for him to play, he committed suicide. Hence we get the saying today, he refused to face the music. Now listen carefully today because one of these days every human being on the face of the earth that's ever lived is going to have to face the music. And you know the Bible says that for the lost, really even for the saved who might be living in sin, but certainly for the lost, the scripture says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and our God is a consuming fire. But you know, that's not our fear, is it? Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad of that this morning? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today I want you and I to see what our future holds and I want us to see the assurances that we can have as believers. The first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is our destiny. Our destiny. He writes, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Notice what our destiny is. What's he say here in verse 27? It is appointed for man to die once. Now the word appointed in, a, in the Greek language literally means to be laid up or to be laid aside or, or, or it can be translated reserved. Every one of us has a reservation with death and people are quite good at keeping that reservation. Two die every second, 105 people every minute, little over 6,300 every single hour, 151,600 every day, and 55 million people every single year go out into eternity. Don't you wonder how most of them go out? The Bible says... Most of them weren't ready. Death is an appointment. 
You and I have an appointment with the Creator. Death plays no favorites. There's an old Jewish proverb that says, if the rich could hire other people to die for them, the poor would make a wonderful living. Now, there are two things about death that are very troubling. First of all, the certainty of it. The certainty of it. It's very difficult to force people to think about their own death, and it's very hard to convince some people that it's really going to happen. I heard about an evangelist who was preaching at a church one time on the brevity of life, that life is just a vapor. He took a long pause, and he said, every member of this church is going to die. And there was a guy seated near the front, maybe sort of where Dr. Patterson is this morning. And, and the guy kind of reared back and had a big old grin on his face. And the evangelist thought, that's an odd response to say every member of this church is going to die. And this guy's laughing about it. Well, maybe he misunderstood. I'll say it again. Every member of this church is going to die. Again, the guy reared back with a big old grin on his face. The evangelist again said, that's odd. He said it a third time. And the guy burst out laughing. The evangelist went over to him after the service and said, Sir, when I was saying every member of this church is going to die, you responded by laughing. That's an odd response. Can you tell me what's behind that? He said, I'm not a member of this church. (laughs) Well, members of all churches... And even those who aren't members of churches are going to die. The other troubling thing about death is the uncertainty of it. The uncertainty, not only the certainty of it, but the uncertainty of it. Do you ever wonder how you're going to die? Are you going to die of old age? Are you going to die of cancer or heart attack or stroke or car accident or some other kind of tragedy, maybe a fall or something? Do you you ever wonder about how you're going to die? I think at some time every one of us probably thinks about that. Maybe today, maybe 80 years from now for some young person. Read about the story of a Mrs. Moeller. This can't be true. It was told as being true. She was on trial for the death of her fourth husband. And investigators and prosecutors started digging around, talking about four husbands and, 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 and the fourth one died. How about the other ones? Well, turned out that the first husband had died of mushroom poisoning. They got to digging around more. The second husband had died of mushroom poisoning. Well, that really piqued their interest. They got to digging around a little bit more, and the third husband died of mushroom poisoning. The fourth fourth husband died of a severe brain injury. She finally admitted on the stand, I hit him in the head with the skillet because he wouldn't eat the mushrooms. 
Well, whether it's the skillet or the mushrooms, something's going to get you and something's going to get me. The certainty of death and the uncertainty of death. We will be judged. We will be judged. He says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, what? The judgment. Isn't it interesting some of the ideas going around today? Unbiblical ideas. First, there's the cessation of life. Evolution in this culture today and among the younger generations has popularized that. That when you die, you just die. You don't exist anymore. You just, they lay in the ground and your body rots and, and that's it. There's nothing after death. Unbiblical. Some Eastern religions have reincarnation. You come back. You might come back as a prince or a king or an emperor. You might come back as a lizard. If you've lived a good life, you might come back somebody rich cruising the world in a yacht. If you've been bad, you might come back as a frog or something worse. Then you die and the cycle starts all over again. Is that what the Bible says? No. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. You live one time around on this earth. Human history is linear. It's not cyclical. You die and then the Bible says you and I are ushered into the presence of God and we face judgment and every single one of us will live somewhere for all of eternity. You see, death doesn't end with a period. It's more like a comma because we die and then what? Because everybody's going to live somewhere. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Our destiny. Second thing I want you to see with me this morning is our hope. Look at verse 27. Just as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, in verse 27, as we think about that verse, we, we saw there that man really has three problems. Three problems. What are they? Sin. Death, what else? Judgment. But in verse 28, we see that Jesus Christ is the solution to every single one of those problems. He died to save us from the penalty of sin. He died taking our judgment that, that we deserved. He was raised to deliver us from the sting of death and the victory over the grave. Uh, victory of the grave, I should say. He's coming again to give us the consummation of our salvation. Jesus does all of those things and more. He's the answer to every problem, every main problem you and I have in life. The big three, sin, death, and judgment. 
I want you to notice what verse 26 and 28 says. Christ once appeared on earth for us. I want you to take your Bible and underscore that word once. Christ appeared once on this earth and he died once. We die once, Jesus appeared once to deal with sin. You see, Jesus once takes care of your wants. Aren't you glad of that? Jesus once takes care of your wants. You die once, but Jesus came once to die once for sin to take it away. He appeared in order to suffer one time to put away sin. Folks, when you and I understand the book of Hebrews, we see that this is a very important aspect of the gospel and it relates to what we are about to do this morning with the elements on this table, what we are about to observe. The book of Hebrews has a great deal of application to to this time that we're about to enter into. In the book of Hebrews, the writer is addressing Jews and he's comparing the old covenant to the new covenant, showing showing them how the new covenant fulfills the old and is better than the old. One of the key words to the book of Hebrews is the word better, 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 better. What you and I have today under the new covenant is better than anything in the old covenant. In the old covenant, things weren't done only one time because of the insufficiency of everything that was done. And so they had to be done over and over and over again. And so all through the book, these contrasts and comparisons are being made. And he points out that the old covenant contains the shadows. The new covenant contains the reality. And so a contrast between the types and the shadows and the, and the real things. That all of this in the old pointed toward. Now, he points out how in the past God spoke through the prophets in many ways. And in these last days, however, he's spoken in a more complete way. He's spoken through his son. In the old covenant, they had a sanctuary, a temple. It was a mere shadow of a greater heavenly temple or sanctuary. In the Old Covenant, they had a priest. They had multiple priests throughout their history. Why? Because their priest, their high priest, would die just like everybody else. One time a year, the high priest would take the blood of a lamb or a goat and go into the Holy of Holies and present the blood there in the presence of God. He would do that year after year after year because the sacrifices that he was presenting were incomplete. And also he would have to present first a sacrifice for himself because he was a sinful man just like the people he represented. But not so in the new covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus is the Lamb of God and He's the perfect Lamb. He doesn't have to present a sacrifice for Himself because He's the sinless Son of God. And He doesn't have to present Himself over and over and over again. Once was enough because of His sufficiency and the sufficiency of His sacrifice. And so He died on the cross one time. That's why you go into Protestant churches today and when you see the symbol of a cross, it's empty. 
Christ didn't own it because we don't celebrate the ongoing Mass. Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. He presented himself one time. Now today he represents us permanently before the Father because he's the eternal Son of God. He never dies. So in every way, the new covenant is better than the old. And when God instituted the new, what's the point that the book of Hebrews is making? That God isn't even dealing with people anymore on the basis of the old covenant. Isn't that heartbreaking about our Jewish friends who are still trying to do things according to the old covenant. God's not even dealing with mankind anymore based on everything in the old covenant. All the blessings of the new covenant are because of his blood. We see in verse 12, the blood of Jesus purchased our redemption. Verse 14, the blood of Jesus Christ purged our guilty conscience. Verse 15, the blood of Jesus Christ provided our inheritance. Verse 22, the blood of Jesus Christ has pardoned all of our sins. Verse 26, the blood of Jesus has put away our sins. Guess what word we get from that Greek word there? One of the English words we get from that word in verse 26. Where it says he's put away our sins. Annulled. The English word annulled is one of the meanings of that word. When when a marriage, for instance, is annulled, it's as though, in the eyes of the laws of the land, it's as though that marriage never even happened to begin with. Verse 27, 28, the blood of Jesus Christ averts our judgment. And so what do we say as the body of Christ? Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the blood of Jesus Christ. Our hope, our assurance is that if we've come to Jesus Christ for salvation, though we die, yet shall we live again. And we'll live in His presence. Everybody, as I said earlier, is going to live somewhere for all of eternity, either heaven or hell. And for those who've trusted Christ, we have this assurance. We have this hope. He paid my penalty. He paid your penalty. He took my place. He took your place. He died in our our stead. That's what substitution is all about. Read Isaiah 53 this afternoon. Uh, God put the iniquity of all of us on Him. 1 Peter 3, 18. The just died for the unjust. And so today if you're in Christ... You'll still die if Jesus tarries, but you don't have to fear death. In fact, the Bible says the hope we have is what? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, look at what he says in verse 24. Christ now appears in heaven for us. Christ appears in heaven for us. He appears on our behalf. What's he doing? Well, the Bible shows us several things that he's doing. 
points out very clearly. John 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Folks, think about it. Jesus has been preparing that place now for more than 2,000 years. Genesis 1, he created this world as we know it in six days. Don't you, if you travel around this globe and you see how beautiful this things on this earth are that he made in six days, can you imagine what heaven must look like? Been preparing a place more than 2,000 years. He's preparing a place for us. What else is he doing? According to verse 24. Church, what else is he doing? He's interceding for us. 1 John 2, 2 says we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Holy Spirit's interceding for us. Jesus is and Jesus is our advocate. He's our defense attorney before the Father. This one's mine. I bought him with my blood. He's appearing for you. If we were to go back to Hebrews chapter 4, we would see that he's a sympathetic high priest because of the incarnation, because he came and walked in our shoes and he knows what it's like to be a man and go through all the trials and temptations that we go through, yet he did it without sin. He knows exactly as he as he intercedes for you, put your name in that blank, he knows exactly what your struggles are. And guess what? He can identify with you because he's been here. He knows what it's like to have an address in this world. And then verse 28 says, He will appear again to rule over us in glory. Now, folks, there's an interesting point about Christ coming again. And, and, and the Jews, we, you see, we read over those words and we just kind of pass over them quickly. But when he talks about as our high priest, he put away our sin once and for all. He's entered into the holy of holies and, and, and he's coming again. What would the children of Israel do as the high priest entered the Holy of Holies one time a year? You know what they would do? They would stand outside and they would wait in great anticipation. Was the high priest going to show up again? Was he going to come back out of the Holy of Holies? Because you see, if he didn't, that meant that God had not received the sacrifice for sin. The high priest could have gone into the Holy of Holies and died. So it's said that when the high priest would come out of the Holy of Holies, there would be shouts of jubilation because it meant that the Heavenly Father had received the sacrifice. Well, in the case of Jesus Christ, there, there's no question about the sufficiency of His sacrifice. He's sinless. 
And he's entered into the Holy of Holies, the heavenly Holy of Holies, to, to present himself in his own blood there in your behalf and my behalf. And so just as the earthly high priest who was a sinful man would come again, we can be absolutely certain that the Son of the living God is going to come back again. They would have understood that comparison being made here. And so what's our response? We're to be anxiously waiting and longing for His return. We're to live in such a way now that there'll be shouts of jubilation when He comes. 1 John 2, 28 says, We are to abide in Him so that when He appears, we will not be ashamed. Back to the judgment issue a moment. While judgment's part of our destiny, it's also part of our hope. You say judgment's part of hope for the believer. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The good news is for the believer, we're not going to face the consequences of our sin because Christ has dealt with that. Christ faced condemnation for us. That's the beauty of the cross. Well, you say, that's not, that's not fair. You mean Christ paid my penalty? You're right. It's not fair, but it's grace. I'm glad we don't get fair. Jesus voluntarily became your sin sacrifice that you might have peace with God. Jesus faced the music for you so you don't have to. We never have to fear the loss of salvation. Why? Why then be judged? Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about believers receiving rewards. In heaven, we'll be serving the Lord. And apparently, our rewards and our service is going to be determined in part by our faithfulness here. Rewards. Now, lost people are also going to face judgment. The Bible in Revelation talks about that, that great white throne judgment that every name not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's no hope for them. For them, only fear and judgment. Scripture's clear, we'll all be judged, either at the Bema seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment. Some scholars identify the two, some separate the two, the beam of seat and great white throne. But the point's still clear, we're all going to be judged. For the believer there's hope, for the unbeliever there is no hope. It's not a question of if you and I are going to be judged, but when and where. If they are separate, beam of seat for believers, great white throne for lost. The question is, where will you be judged? I hope at the Bema seat. Now, folks, in light of Jesus doing all of this for us, if we had time this morning to go on and finish out the book of Hebrews, what would we see? We would see the demands, the, the requests, the strong requests that he's making on those who have come to Christ. We don't just sit back saved and satisfied. He's telling them in the book of Hebrews, you need to press on. 
You need to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as, the, as is the habit of some. So everybody needs a church family and you need to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And all the more as you see that day approaching where he's going to come out of that heavenly holy of holies and come back for his bride. And in the meantime, you and I need to be active in our church attendance. We need to be serving. And he goes on in chapter 12 to say, you need to make sure you're in the race, running your race, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And if there's any sin or any encumbrances in your life, you need to be dealing with those and he says if you ever grow weary or grow discouraged just look to Jesus because he suffered he suffered have you suffered or grown weary yet to the point of shedding blood I don't think so but guess what he did and he did for you and so what are we to do we're to get in the race and we're to run the race. Come to Christ if you don't know Him. Abide in Him if you do know Him so that when He comes you'll not be ashamed. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me please? I assume this morning I'm talking mainly to those who have come to Christ. As you think about your destiny this morning, you know, you know where your hope lies. It's in Him. Are you running your race? Have you grown weary? Jesus said to the Ephesian, the Ephesian church there in Revelation 2, some of them had even lost their first love. Have you lost your first love this morning? Does that first love need to be renewed? Are you lukewarm? Maybe there's some soul-searching believers need to do this morning. Maybe you're saved and satisfied, complacent, apathetic. You read just about every letter in the New Testament and after the writer finishes the doctrinal section of what we have in Christ, there's those ethical admonitions that you need to run your race. You need to be faithful. Every day, you and I need to be in the Word of God and in prayer. Every day, we need to be involved in ministry, trying to make a difference in this life for Jesus Christ. And the whole time we're living and serving, we're doing so with great hope and anticipation because one of these days, our high priest is going to come again for us. And we need to be living in such a way so that the body of Christ would be like the body of those Jewish people when He returns. Shouts of jubilation. We have all the more reason to be living so that in, in that day there'll be shouts of jubilation in the body of Christ because our King has come. Speak to every heart here this morning, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.